Um, this morning, we are starting a new series. Uh, we spent most of 2021 studying the Gospel of Mark, and that was, uh, that was really fun for me. I, I loved seeing uh, Mark in a new light, and, and I hope you got to see it too. Um, today, we are starting what I think is probably the most read book of the Bible. And the reason for that is because all sorts of people, you know, decide at some point, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible. I want to see what's in there. And they open it up the way we open up any book, turn past the introductory material, and okay, here we are, Genesis. And most people, they get a few chapters into Genesis and they think, what is this? And that's it. That's, that's it for them. So my hope is that over the next number of months, as we're studying Genesis, we can have a big picture of what God is doing there and also understand really the purpose of this book. And maybe, perhaps, by the end of it, the book of Genesis won't be so intimidating or challenging, but rather something that is deeply encouraging to us. So let's begin. Today we're going to look at the first few verses of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning, marking the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, Speak to us about your word in this moment of silence. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that through the words of Genesis, we would come to know you better, understand our mission more clearly, and be able to represent you to this world with love and joy. We offer this uh, study to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Genesis, are you guys ready? Woo, let's go. Um, so these opening words, this opening scene in Genesis, of course, are famous. We are starting this um, this beautiful picture of how creation came to be. But thanks to sort of modern thinking and modern studies about the book of Genesis, many of us have been trained to see something right here in the first words of Genesis um, that, um, well, that might, might not be there. Um, that, that's something that we've been trained to see is nothing. I mean, we've been trained, and it's right, it's theologically correct to think of it this way. We've been trained to look at this and say, ah, yes, Genesis 1-1, one, one. 
God creates everything out of nothing. The Latin for that is ex nihilo, out of nothing. We've been trained to look for nothing. I don't know what you picture when you picture nothing, but whatever you see, this isn't really talking about that. What we see when we look at the first, the first thing that we can see in Genesis is this great rhyming Hebrew phrase, tohu vabohu, tohu vabohu. That means formless and void, or as our translation puts it very unpoetically, without shape and empty. I like what one, one uh, scholar says, wild and waste, you know, that kind of rhymes, like tohu vabohu. What is tohu vabohu? It is darkness over the horrifying watery abyss. It is a, a stormy sea with no shore and no light. There's just no control, chaos. The first thing we see in Genesis is chaos. It's the chaos that lurks in the back of each of your minds, casting a shadow even over your most confident moments. It's the chaos that pokes a hole in our orderly world at every turn. Um, like, say, a little virus spanning the globe, throwing governments and economies into, well, chaos. It's planes being hijacked 20 years ago yesterday and crashing into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon in the field. It's the Taliban sweeping in like a flood as if trillions of dollars and 20 years of war had never been sent to Afghanistan. That's global chaos, of course, closer to home. It's the moment your stress and your frustration peak right as you're driving past the liquor store that you've been trying to avoid. It's the moment your impulse takes over. It's the moment, parents, when you meet your kids' friends and you realize that they have been exposed to every single thing that you've tried to keep out of your house. And you realize it's, it's, it's happened. Now your kids know about all that stuff. It's the moment that mission-critical coworker walks off the job. The moment your computer crashes. It's that feeling when you wake up and you realize you needed to be awake an hour and a half ago <laughs> for a meeting. You know chaos. I, I could go on. It's the doctor telling you the last news you want to hear. You know chaos. Chaos haunts humanity in every time and place. It's been with us all along. And we find a billion ways to hold it back. And it still sneaks in. You can't picture nihilo. You can't picture nothing. You know, what do you picture? You can't picture nothing. But you know chaos. And that's where Genesis starts. Now, before we go on, I need to ask you to try to do the impossible. So, you know, 
please try to do the impossible. You'll, be re you'll, you'll never be able to read this book well if you expect it to answer the questions that, frankly, you've been taught to ask about Genesis. You won't be able to read it rightly if you come to it with your 2021 questions. You know, your, your 21st century questions, your 20th century questions. We, we bring all of our modern discussions of the universe, geology, fossil records, and more. And we expect Genesis to join our conversation, to be a part of that with us. But when we read the Bible, it doesn't join our conversations. It invites us into its conversations. We mustn't read Genesis as if it was initially written for us. To hear what Genesis is really saying, we need to stand with the people for whom Genesis was initially composed. Those of you who are part of the Mark study, what do we do all throughout the Gospel of Mark? We reminded ourselves, now, Mark was writing for a group of persecuted Christians in Rome late in the first century. That's who he was writing for. And when we stood with those people, we heard Mark differently. We heard the messages of Mark more accurately. And, and we need to try to do that with Genesis. But of course, that's easier said than done. You see, Genesis was probably developed and refined over a significant amount of time under the Spirit's leadership and inspiration by the people of God. But the earliest human source of Genesis is probably Moses. Now, that's debated by scholars, but I think Moses, the man who fled from Egypt but was sent back by God to lead his ethnic family out. And when he did, they had questions. Moses needed to answer very different questions than we typically ask. So we actually need to start with Moses and that group of people if we're going to understand Genesis. You see, the people group that Moses brought out of Egypt had been there for a long time. To give you some perspective, the Declaration of Independence was signed closer to today than the earliest Israelites coming into Egypt before they left. Like, we, we, we are closer to the founders of this nation than the people who left Egypt were to the first Israelites who came into Egypt. How much, how much you know, does your ancestors from the late 1700s affect your life right now? What do you know about them? What were they doing? Right? Like, think about this. If... If your family had lived in Colorado for that many generations, you would say, I am a Coloradan through and through. You get a cool license plate, right? But the details that you would have about them would be scarce. Now, unlike us, the Israelites didn't have written records or teachers or priests to teach them about their ancestors while they're in Egypt. They maybe had some family traditions. They maybe recited some things like, yeah, the God of our ancestors led, uh, led them into Egypt during a famine, and that's how they were saved. But that's about all you would know. 
as far as those people know, as f- if you're an Israelite who's just left Egypt, you are basically an Egyptian. You're just a different kind of Egyptian. You're an Egyptian slave. And now you've everything has changed. Because one day, this guy Moses shows up. And he shows up and he, he goes into Pharaoh and he infuriates Pharaoh. And so um, things get harder. Pharaoh clamps down on your people. Things get much harder. And then the world just just goes crazy. It just goes crazy. The river turns to blood. There's hail and darkness and bugs and frogs. And, and, and uh, people get sick. And, and gosh, a whole bunch of people die among the Egyptians When Pharaoh temporarily relents, you have to leave the home that you've known for centuries and go on the run. Next thing you know, you're pinned against the sea and Pharaoh's army is rushing at you. What are you going to do? And you watch as the waters separate, the waters part, and you go Across through, can you imagine walking through the sea? And there you are finally on the other side. And you see this waters crash down with deadly force on Pharaoh's army. And very little explanation has been given to you yet. Like, what are, what's happening? Plus, you're, now you're wandering through the desert. You're following, what is that? Is that a cloud or something? You're following this big group of people, you you arrive at the base of this mountain and you stay there for a few days and Moses makes everyone take a bath and you all wash your clothes. He says, get ready. And then you gather at the mountain and after everything you've experienced in recent days, the scariest thing yet happens. You hear this voice. And it's it's not that it's loud, it's that it's big. It's everywhere. The voice shakes the ground underneath your feet. You cover your ears because you're terrified, and the voice is reverberating inside of your body. It's everywhere, and the voice says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. And he goes on to give the ten words, the ten commandments. Friends, here's what I'm saying. If that's you, if you're a common Israelite in the crowd, you know, not Moses or Aaron or Miriam, but a common Israelite in the crowd, that moment is the first time you've ever heard of the Lord. He introduces himself. I am Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. That's the first time you've ever heard of him. So to put it mildly, you've got questions. (laughs) And we need to understand those questions. Uh, There's an Old Testament scholar, John Walton, and, and he helps us understand the difference between the questions that we typically ask and 
the questions that these people would have been asking. It's, this is great. Okay, so um, imagine this. You have tickets to a brand new Broadway musical. It's, it's on tour. It's coming into town to the Denver Performing Arts Center. And so you and a few friends, you get tickets and you're going to meet down there. But on your way, bummer, there's a car accident. And so you're caught in traffic and you get there 30 minutes after the musical starts. And so you, uh, you, you know, you quietly find your seat and sit down. And as you're sitting there, you're trying to follow along, but you can't really figure out what's happening. So at intermission, when the lights go on, you turn to one of your friends and you say, how did the play begin? And your friend says, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, this play uh, was written by Johannes von Thomas, and uh, he lived in Denmark, and he grew up in poverty, and, and, and one day he saw a car accident, and, and it shook him so, and so he was sitting in a Starbucks, and he, he got this idea for this play, and he started writing it on the back of a Starbucks napkin, and he said, no, no, that, okay, that's not what I'm asking. Um, you turn to your other friend, how? How, how did the play begin? And your friend says, yes, this is so cool. So this theater used to be a, a church. It used to be a cathedral, and it was built in 1901. And, and uh, it's so fascinating. They, they brought in uh, redwood from Canada, and it's, a, you know, these bricks came from, so, you know, and you're like, what? No, that's not, not what I'm asking. Like, now, both of your friends actually technically gave you a correct answer to your question, right? But what you need to know is, what are all these characters doing? What are they talking about? What's the plot leading up to? How can I have some sense of what's happening right now? Of course, even though your friend's answers are correct, that they're not helping you. This is what, this is what the Israelites needed. They didn't need how. They, they didn't need to know how it all happened. They needed to know much more specifically, who is this Yahweh who just spoke to us? Who are we? Like, how did we end up in Egypt? And why on earth did all of this crazy stuff happen to rescue us? And you say we're going across the wilderness to the land of Canaan. Why? Like, that's what you need to know. And if you can get those questions answered, things will start to make sense for you. Maybe the first thing you need to know, since you just saw the ocean split and you saw the river turn to blood and you were, you were uh, underneath the thumb of Egypt as a slave, maybe the first thing you need to know is, is this Yahweh capable of holding back the chaos? Is, 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 we've seen all these other gods and they mess around and they, they bring chaos. Is this Yahweh capable of bringing order to it? As it turns out, when I really drill down in my own heart, those are the same deep questions in my heart. Maybe they're the same questions that your heart is asking. Who is this God? And, and who am I in relationship to him? How did my life end up where it is? Why did I get rescued by him? Or why is he offering me rescue? Where is he taking me? Can I trust him? 
Let's go back to the tohu vabohu for a moment. If you grew up in Egypt, every account of the beginning of the world as you know it starts with watery chaos. All of the stories, the, the, the way the Egyptians talk about the beginning of, of the world, the way the, the Sumerians talk about it, the way the Babylonians talk about it, they all talk about the world starting. It, it, everyone just assumes like everything starts in this watery chaos. But that's where the stories diverge because in each of those, there's like this wild conflict and the gods kind of emerge in the water and or they decide to create things that can serve them like slaves. And so they create, you know, people must appease the gods and powers involved or the chaos will come and swallow them back up. So those are the stories you actually grew up hearing. You didn't grow up hearing this story. You grew up hearing those stories. And then you hear this one. Yeah, there's this primordial watery chaos, tohu vabohu. But wait, what's this? Hovering over the waters is the ruach of God, the spirit of God, the breath of God. And when God speaks at the sound of his voice, the mere sound of his voice, the opposite of chaos emerges light, light before there's sun, moon, and stars. Light comes to be God's good divine light, the light of his presence. Friends, if, you, if you're standing at the foot of that mountain, you've just seen watery chaos up close. It just killed the Egyptian army, <laughs> right? Like that's what you just saw. And you just heard that voice and it terrified you. In fact, all of the Israelites begged Moses, talk to him in private from now on. That was too much for us. But in this story, you're given an invitation to believe that the voice and the source of the voice and the spirit of the waters are the only persons capable of holding the chaos back. And they do it so easily, so calmly. Perhaps if that's true, if you listen to this voice, the chaos will be held back in your life too. Do you see the invitation that Genesis is offering to the Israelites and to you? Many generations later, many, many generations later, on the other side of this wilderness, in a river, there's this guy, John the Baptist, and he's baptizing people for repentance, preparing them for the Messiah, and his cousin, Jesus, shows up. John baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus comes out of the water, people see a light or a dove or something descend on Jesus, and they hear a voice that they describe in strange ways. It sounds like many waters. It sounds like trumpets. It sounds like a, a mighty wind. And this voice is so big. And it says, this is my son whom I love. You see, the same scene is happening. In Jesus, creation is being recreated. 
It's being renewed. Just as God's voice brought light, so God's Son offers the light of life. So how do you hold the chaos back? I, I, I know a lot of you. You've got some creative ways to hold the chaos back. Some of you are great at distracting yourself from the chaos. This is my particular specialty. Um, you know, television shows, sports, uh, social media, a, a, a good novel. These are great ways to just pretend the chaos isn't there. Some of you try to control it. Your home is spotless. Your calendar is orderly. You have never, you know, missed an appointment. Your fridge is perfectly stocked. You have emergency savings account funded for 12 months, and your gym membership is well utilized. You hold the chaos back by controlling everything. Others at many different points in your life have welcomed the chaos through a bottle or a pipe or an internet addiction, addiction, excuse me. Others of you spend a lot of energy looking for someone to blame for the chaos. That'll help you feel like you're in control of it. Uh, that, by the way, is called politics. <laughs> How do you hold it back? In case they hadn't put it all together yet, for Jesus' disciples, they've watched his whole life. They've seen scenes that may hopefully remind them of Genesis. But at the very end, the resurrected Jesus has a special plan. He, he meets with his friends for dinner. He shows up sort of surprisingly in the room. He's crucified, and now he's alive again, and he gathers them together, and he breathes on them. It's my favorite COVID pandemic verse of the Bible, by the way. Jesus breathes on them. The Ruach of Jesus goes on them. And here's what he says. My peace I have, my peace I give you. In Jesus, we have the perfection, the completion of a story that started when God said, let there be light. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us um, to humble ourselves as we begin this journey through Genesis, that we would read it alongside our ancient brothers and sisters, our ancient neighbors, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, wondering why they're there and who you are and what's going on. And Lord, I pray that you would sweep us into the story that you would speak not just to their chaos, but to ours. Not just to their need, but to ours. Not just to their questions, but to ours. And that we would meet in the God who creates and the God who redeems, the God who calls Abraham and his family, that we would meet the God who is also calling to us in a new way. And most of all, Lord, that we would see that you've been setting us up for Jesus. 
from the very first moment. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.